Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of um, Green Preteen, oh, sorry, Green Queen Future Food Weekly. Um, so sorry, everyone. It is really late here and I'm in Singapore and I'm still jet lagged from California time. Um, hey, Steve, how are you? Hello from Singapore. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. And and you are you are nonstop. And I, <laughs> I'm, it's funny because I know I know last week we were saying that this week we talk about you giving the highlights, the key takeaways from the Verge 23 conference. But it sounds like you want to you want to really sit down and think about that um, and give some legitimate legitimate updates. And in the meantime, you have another really big conference and event that you're at in, in Singapore this week. Right. Yeah, no, what's happened is that my brain is in Singapore Agri-Food Innovation Week uh, space because I'm just in the middle of all of it. Just came back from, you know, a big gala dinner from Tomasic and with the, with the government and all the, all the key folks. And it's been already two days of, of um, the Rethink event, um, Agri-Food Tech Innovation Summit. I hope I'm getting that right. Um, and it's all about Asia Agri-Food Tech. So it's very similar to their future food tech events, but a little bit broader with an agri-tech um, uh, vertical as well. Tomorrow they're doing actually some, um, uh, an ocean uh, uh, vertical as well. So it's, it's, it's a little broader and it's, the focus is very much on APAC. Um, it's, quite, um, it's quite high, high stakes. Uh, there's a lot of involvement between the Rethink event and the, the Singapore government and Tomasic, which is obviously Singapore's sovereign wealth fund. Um, and as everyone knows, uh, Singapore has really positioned itself as the food tech capital of Asia. And so that is what our big story is about this week. And it really, you can feel it while you're here, just a lot happening. So it just made more sense since I'm here and it is 11 p.m. And my brain is still in Singapore kind of mode. So I want to save my Verge takeaways and, and really sit down with my notes next week. Um, but since today's big story is all about Singapore uh, bolstering its its kind of role as you know the food tech ecosystem to to play in in Asia. Um, I think I think it makes more sense to talk about that. Um, sorry that my voice is breaking a little. Um, stay with me on that. <laughs> I've just been talking too much <laughs> for ten days. You're good. You're good. Joking with you earlier too. Like I was saying, how like you're cold, and I'm just like coughing all the time so I'm, I'm for it this this podcast is a chance to just cough so loud that it, it breaks all the speakers for our listeners and they never yeah, come back sorry speakers <laughs> it's not going to be the best audio this time steve and i are com our voices are compromised um we need to like we need, we need to rest our pipes here um <laughs> let's dive right in um so as i said singapore is hosting uh, Rethink's Asia-Pacific Agri-Food Innovation Summit. And as is expected, so it's a summit that is part of the official Singapore um, Innovation uh, Agri-Food Agri Week. Um, it's something that the government launched three years ago as part of their commitment to uh, their 30 by 2030 plan, which is the Singapore government's plan to make 30% of their food be locally produced by 2030. It's a food security play. Right now, 90% of Singapore's food is imported. And so the government really wants to focus on new technologies around things like vertical farming and cultivated meat in order to make sure that Singapore can you know, you know decrease their export um, uh, uh, reliance. 
And so they launched this innovation week. The Rethink Summit is part of that. There are, there are other events happening. Um, it's quite a busy week. People fly in from all over the world. Uh, the event is very well attended, especially from uh, Europe. Europe, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of stuff a little bit from the US, but lots of Europe and lots of around Asia. Um, and so some, as a result, major announcements tend to come through this week. So our big story this week is kind of all the major announcements that have come through, um, including a major one of by the government of Singapore about their new food safety and security bill that is really meant to advance novel food regulations. Um, there's also uh, a few companies that have announced major uh, Singapore offices. So Australia's Nourish Ingredients is partnering with the Singapore Scale-Up Bio to launch an eight-pack hub here. Belgian precision fermentation startup Paleo is opening a Singapore office. Um, there's a major fund that just rebranded, uh, Visfire's new protein has rebranded to Clay Capital and they've announced the close of a huge fund uh, at, at 445 million all around agri-food. Um, and, you know, it, it all comes down to the minister. One of the ministers of Singapore spoke at the opening ceremony of the summit and said, you know, we really believe Singapore is the best place in the world for food innovation. So come and do business here. So um, there's just lots going on. Um, before I, I hear your take, Steve, a couple of other big announcements that I want to call out. GFI APAC, um, which is the kind of Asia PAC uh, arm of food, of alternative protein think tank, Good Food Institute. They also announced yesterday that they launched a comms initiative to tackle alt protein information called Communication Leadership in Future Foods, Cliff Initiative. So that's really interesting because usually GFI doesn't get as involved on the demand consumer side. Um, so it's, it's great to see them kind of doing that. Um, uh, what else is going on? Um, the, a major report was actually just announced today, tonight in the evening. And actually it was the subject of the gala we went to. It's a report that was co-published by Rabobank, PwC, um, uh, Temasek, and the, uh, the uh, emissions platform, Terrascope. And it's all about basically the emissions profile and the climate profile of agri-food, uh, the industry of agri-food in Asia. And it was really, really interesting. Um, and there's some really good data in there. We're gonna do a separate piece that's just about the report. So stay tuned for some of those highlights, but it was the first time I've ever been to a media briefing in my whole career where every major person involved in a report was calling out that there was a huge gap, knowledge gap, um, uh, amongst all groups from investors to government, to, um, to consumers, to industry about the, the cost of our agri-food uh, system to the climate. It was the first time. So there's just a huge, I mean, literally um, some, of the, some of the panel was them saying, why are we focused on shutting down coal um, plants when 50% of our emissions are coming from the food system and we're not doing enough about it. So it was really, really good to hear that. No, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. And it's a Sorry, lot. Really that, that's good. a lot. I'll give you a second. But it's good. That's good though. I, mean, I love those types of updates, especially the last thing out, like the, the elephant in the room of like where we should be focusing our attention. That's super important. And 
don't think you have the big story. Like I, I see this and I think the, the big story is that things are happening in Singapore. Singapore's making it happen in, in the future of food and sustainable food. And, and for me, like I put like from an investor perspective, I just think of this as like, like macroeconomics 101 of Singapore, I think is setting themselves up to have a comparative advantage in the future of food and sustainable food, um, whether that's that's biomanufacturing or um, or other other approaches to uh, food security and food sustainability, I I think that full of government support is really making it putting them in a position where maybe not this second, but maybe in the next five ten plus years there may just be such an obvious comparative advantage where it would just blatantly make more sense for a company certain types of thing in this space to say, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I, I'm, I'm either doing it in Singapore or I'm working with a company in Singapore because maybe, yes, there's like greater manpower uh, in the U.S. or Europe, but if the U.S. and Europe aren't investing in innovation in this area as much, then they're going to fall behind in terms of ability to um, help the sustainable food space move forward in an economical um, and high growth way. So at, like for me, like, I don't think it's there yet, right? Like I don't think Singapore today just automatically is place to be if you are working in cultivated meat, precision fermentation or plant-based, but they're, they're, they're putting themselves on a path to really be the dominant, uh, the dominant nation in, in this space. So um, I, I think it's, it's cool to see. And you're seeing it, you're seeing the response from startups, right? Like you already mentioned it, but like, Pay fermentation, opening up an office there, nourish. They're 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 working with a company over there and par- partnering with companies in the space, investors, investment group launching there and big dollars too. So, um, and people feel like the government's backing it, and here. yeah, there's support here. Yeah, there's government agencies that are welcoming you with open arms. There's facilities, you know, there's precision fermentation facilities. There's there's plant based facilities where you can do testing, you can do pilot r- runs. There's access to new markets. I mean, Indonesia, Malaysia is nearby. Um, India's nearby, you know, China's not that far. There's, you know, good, the Good Food Institute, obviously their APAC arm is, is based here and they're, you know, very, very active in the space. Um, Singapore definitely is probably the hub for cultivated meat in, in Asia. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to argue that they are against the fact that Singapore really is positioning itself as a leader. And, you know, as you all know, I live in Hong Kong and, and, and I'm going to be very frank and say that I think the Hong Kong government really missed the boat here. Um, I know because I've, I've, I've spoken to them um, for many years and they just, they did not put the focus on food. They're, they're much more interested in prop tech and FinTech and, and Singapore has really taken the crown and um, three years in, you know, I won't, I won't say that the conference doesn't feel different from last year, um, where because I was here last year. Clearly, we're not in the same space um, mentally as an industry. Um, there are fewer funders. There are fewer startups. There's, I'm having a lot of discussions off, you know, off the record around consolidation in the space, um, but but there's still an energy here around the future, and to see a major report come out, really calling out. I mean, to have the deputy prime minister calling out that our food system is responsible for way more emissions than energy feels like real progress. 
um, because as everyone knows, like one of my missions with Green Queen is really um, advancing food in the climate conversation. And I don't know that enough media is doing that. Um, and, you know, most people are just still unaware that, you know, a third of our um, global greenhouse gas emissions come from a fruit system. So to have major government uh, figures say that to a, a packed room full of influential people from all around the world is, is, is huge progress. Just huge progress. That's, that's really interesting, though. Like the, the, the point that you made about the difference in the atmosphere at the conference last year versus this year. Um, do you think that like, like, obviously, it seems like people, people even in Singapore are realizing that the space has changed over the past year. But do you think that um, there is they, they are feeling like government support is truly legitimate? Like they are actually excited by that? Or are they feeling like it's kind of just like a like, I don't know, not, not I don't want to say greenwashing, right? But like, are they feeling like it's kind of just like a, a PR approach? Or does it feel legitimate? The government support is legitimate and is here and the government is committed on the long term. I think what is missing for everyone is obviously we're not progressing as fast as we want and the government isn't doing everything. I mean, we also need, you know, um, private private capital. Um, we need also consumer markets to evolve so that there is a demand. I mean, it is no secret that Asia Pacific's consumer base is much smaller for these products. I moderated a panel um, today with... Um, a, an Indian plant-based entrepreneur, a China plant-based entrepreneur, an Australian plant-based entrepreneur, and a um, Filipino plant-based entrepreneur. And, and we were getting their views on their consumer, their markets, what consumers are looking for, what's working, what's not, you know? And, you know, it was very clear that the Asian consumer is in all these five, in all these four markets that we talked about is not looking for the environmental there, there's what we call a say-do gap where, yes, consumers are interested in sustainability, but that's not why they're buying products. Um, and it's very much still around health and around meeting nutritional requirements um, and also around kind of in looking at local ingredients. The, the Filipino fellow was quite interesting in, in saying that Filipinos are very attracted by um, you know, indigenous and native ingredients um, being added to plant-based meat, um, you know, in China. That's so interesting. That, that's, so interesting. that is very unique. I, I mean, I feel like, like I, when I think of like the, all the countries that you mentioned, like in the APAC region, like culturally, they're very different than, than the U.S. or countries in, in, in Europe. Um, but it sounds very similar in terms of like what consumers are looking for with plant-based products where it's like, Health. Health is the driving force there. That's the reason why they switch. It's not environment or animals. Maybe they care about it a little, but that's not why they're making the decision. And um, I think like we gotta like we gotta keep that in mind. Like that that, that health health is like the real reason here. Um, Absolutely. It's just really interesting. And it, it, I mean, one of the things that was fascinating is when the Filipino entrepreneur. So it's Stephen Michael. He he runs uh, Worth the Health. WTH foods in, in, in Philippines. Philippines is a very difficult market. There's a very small amount of consumers that can even afford the products that he's making. So it was very, very interesting insights from him. All of them were interesting. Um, and and uh, you know, I hope to share more about that. But he said something really interesting that I'd never heard before, which is that he's actually getting consumers coming to it because they're motivated by thing, by beauty and wellness. So he's looking at how he can enhance his products for people who are looking to eat these products from a wellness and beauty point of view. I have never heard that from any other market or any other entrepreneur. Yeah. 
I mean, I've I never heard that at all. Uncovered a massive new trend in plant-based where we're going to start seeing like superfood plant-based meat for, you know, for like making your skin look better. I don't know. Or if just, it's just a very different type of consumer and the, 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 the culture around why you would be interested in these products um, is very like wellness focused. Um, so again, so different, right? Because in the US, the wellness market is, feels like these products are totally not, you know, not wellness. So it's just, it's just so interesting. And once again, if there's something I have learned in the last two weeks that I, I always learn, but I, I am reminded of it, is the importance of a global perspective and the importance of boots on the ground in different countries and talking to people from different markets and not allowing one country's narrative to dominate the entire industry's conversation. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. I'm kind of like laughing to myself a little bit about the, like the, the cosmetics approach, right? Like eat plant-based so that your skin looks better. I mean, I made um, that. Which, he, didn't which, that. <laughs> he didn't say No, that, no, no, but, of course, of course. I mean, maybe like that's that where we go one day. Idea right where like 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 that that could be the approach and i think it's 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 kind of funny to me because it's like i think that kind of could work in the u.s too there's a lot of vanity and in in, in in u.s consumers and i'm sure worldwide as well and if you could somehow prove or claim that eating this product will, will remove wrinkles or slow down the, the the creation of wrinkles then maybe that could be what 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 really sticks and i don't care if that's what that's what it takes then I'm all for it because in the background, it still would be better for the environment and for health and for, for animals and all that. So um, it's just a funny idea to me. Very, very much so. All right. Well, what, what else uh, caught your eye this week? So I loved the, the piece on it's, it's towards the beginning of the newsletter. It's, it's the deep dive on our nutrition and climate labeling, the future of food packaging. And, dive into it and it talks about nutri scores and eco scores and it's this idea that could we kind of help consumers shift their consumption patterns in a sustainable direction if you put some type of nutrition nutrition score or climate score on there and i'm obsessed with this idea i i i feel like i've talked about this on here in the past i don't remember when but i i i feel like the biggest hurdle in this space for sustainable food is around behavior change. And one of the, the, the tenets of behavior change is that it's going to be really hard to get people to shift away if you, if they're feeling forced and they're not, and they're feeling like it's not their decision uh, to choose or not choose something when it comes to packaging. So Nutri scores or eco scores, I feel like this is such a, an elegant way to, kind of tell people, hey, this this product that you're purchasing maybe is not the best for the environment. Maybe it's actually really bad for the environment. Um, but but then say, you could still buy it. Go for it. Like purchase it right now. But just as an FYI, this is really not good. And, and maybe that's, a, that's a, a, a red score versus a green score for something good for the environment or, um, or it's A through F or whatever you want to use as the, the scale. But um, I like that idea. But one thing I want to call out for this is I do think that as we look into this space, like we need to have more nuance than just this, 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 the scaling that's a little more binary of like red or green or, or maybe even yellow um, where there's maybe three options. I, one that um, I saw, <coughs> excuse me, one that I saw in early, in early 2023, it was from Mike Lee, who, 
who runs something called the the future market. Yes, he came out with an article. Yeah, he's awesome. And and great. he came out with an article that was around around labeling and it, it used a, a spider chart or it's also known as like a radar chart. And basically it allows you, you to see how something um, scores on many different characteristics. So if this was just like a hypothetical label, but it showed a spider chart around biodiversity, water quality, greenhouse gas emissions, soil health, fertilizer usage, et cetera. And I like that idea because that would allow a consumer to look at a product and say, okay, well, this is really bad from a greenhouse gas emission standpoint, but not, not that bad from like a, <laughs> from oh. like a fertilizer standpoint. And like they can, it's, it has more nuance <laughs> and I'm going to stop talking because I'm dying. But like, I, I like, I love this idea. I, I absolutely love the idea of, of labels and I think it can be super impactful. So I'm so glad you picked the story. This is obviously one of my little, um, let's say pet series that we do. And that now that Anae is on the team and is amazing. And, and gosh, I have heard just a little shout out to Anae because he, by the way, loves his podcast, loves you, Steve. Um, I have gotten so many compliments on Anae. So I want to call that out all over the world. People have mentioned to me how great he is. And of course he is great. It's, he's, he's like absolutely rejuvenated green queen. Um, so he knows that I am all about this little pet subject of labeling and Nutri-scores and Eco-scores. A uh, couple things to, to hit up here. One, again, Europe is ahead. This is happening in Europe. I mean, this is all of the information, the article, you can see that a lot of the work and the research and the policy is, is from Europe. Nutri-score is actually already implemented in countries like France and Germany and Spain. So it's actually really funny. Um, when I was in France this summer with my little son, um, <clears throat> we went to the grocery store a few times as we, as we do, as, as we enjoy. And um, I basically, he, you know, he, he goes to the grocery store and asks me if he can buy things. And so I, I gave him this game and I said, you can only buy things if the Nutri-Score is A or B. Now, of course he was foxed because he can't buy any, there was no candy or cookies or chips that meet that requirement. So it was hysterical. So he ended up, he loves olives. So he ended up finding olives, which were B. I don't know why they weren't A. Um, so I, I found that to be interesting. And it just made me think, oh, okay. So, you know, that's something that you can do with your child. And, and this is a, he's a five-year-old, you know, so it's very basic, but he understands the concept of A to, to E. And the reason I bring that up is because you're saying, it would be interesting if you could have more nuance, but actually we have another article that we wrote about six, seven months ago. Um, I think I wrote that one and it was all about the science and the research around um, eco labels and kind of what works and what doesn't. And actually, just to be clear, there's a reason that the traffic light is, is chosen because in the research, that is the one consumers respond to the best. Mm. You know what? That's actually a very good point. It's a very good point. And I feel like for someone like me who like, I want to dig into all the details and, and I'm so most curious to know, like, yeah. And not, not even just that, like, even to be fair to most people, like most people might want to, right. But they might just like not have the time. Like a lot of people, I, I like to generally believe that people are smart and interested people, but their, their profession is not the space. And, and for certain parts of their life and, for some of that, that's buying food at a grocery store, they need that to just be like pretty quick and easy. They, and like, if it's really long, hard, arduous, and like they have to think a lot, it's just going to make something that is already a chore 
that much harder. So like, it's a good point. It's, it's, a, it's a very good point. Right. So exactly. And so there is a trade-off in how much do you give? How long are people taking to make these decisions? How do you let it be obvious to someone the information you want to you want to share in a very in a split second and it, it it's just so far I mean nothing is perfect and of course there's always more to do um and 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 we can always improve but the Nutri-Score and the Eco-Score which is which is kind of being modeled on the success of the Nutri-Score um has has proven uh, well the research has shown that 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 is this traffic light thing seems to work really uh really well no, that's super cool. I, I'm, I'm like now like backtracking on that, to be honest. Maybe that's like a, an option on a website if you really wanted to dig in, like the, the more detailed one. But and I'm just thinking like I'm for, for me, like I'm not a car guy, right? Like I couldn't care oh, less yeah. about the car that I drive or any of the, the, the details of that. And if I went to a mechanic and said like and they gave me an option to fix something and they gave me a bunch of details, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. Just pick pick whatever is the best one. I have no idea. So like, I, that's not my area of expertise, and I don't care. So maybe simplicity is key here. It 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 is um, at the grocery store. I or wonder though how how them? like companies would respond to this though. Like think about like you know that all the big meat companies, dairy companies, if it was a red, yellow, green light, it would be red across the board, and like they're going to fight back on something like this really hard. Uh, yes, that is, that's a whole other discussion, but yes, that is what's coming next. But you know what? We... Well, but also, also though, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe if it's not re required by regulators to have this score and all of the good, the green and yellow product companies are putting it on there like voluntarily, then it's kind of going to show like people inherently like, oh, this one doesn't have a score. It's probably bad. So maybe, maybe it doesn't matter if they want it or not. Maybe not. <laughs> that, anyway, the important thing here is we need more data. We need more to come. And it is interesting to see what's working in Nutri-Scores and apply them to Eco-Scores. But I mean, a grocery store where you can literally say to your kid or to your partner or, to, or, or yourself, here is information about the climate profile and the health profile of a product so that I can make an informed decision fast, quickly, and, and know that I'm being given, you know, some, some level of transparency and data. I think that is the grocery store of the future and absolutely is needed. We absolutely I love it. Yeah, I agree. So, I agree. So, and I'll I mean, stop pontificating on it, on this. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what about what you, what caught your eye this week? So what caught my eye this week was actually, and uh, I will disclose that I know you are part of Clear Car and Capital and you're part of this round, but I actually am quite uh, taken with uh, all the whole, I, I want to say this right, whole food mushroom startups that I'm seeing. So Tupu um, is a company that just had, uh, that just raised some, some, some money and, and in your fund participated, they raised a 3.2 million seed round. Uh, they are Berlin based and, and what they're doing is they're growing mushroom directly in cities. This is an area that I've been looking at for a while. So I'm putting together uh, with an A, we're gonna do a piece on, on startups like Tupu, including Tupu. 
Um, but I have been having conversations with founders in the space and investors and understanding why these startups are getting traction. And actually here at the show in Singapore, there are two mushroom startups. I think I sent you one or two photos already um, where again, it's, it's about growing the mushrooms in the cities um, and, and providing a, a broader selection of, of mushrooms to consumers and and I had one founder from Canada say to me, you know, we need to make mushrooms center of the plate. Um, and a lot of chefs are looking at doing that um, as a way to offer plant-based main courses that are, you know, not maybe plant-based meat, but whole vegetable or well, or whole fungi based. So I'm very interested in this story and this space and uh, you thought maybe, uh, disclosure aside that you could provide some uh some uh insight into what made you invest yeah no i mean uh, again i'm highly biased here right like we we decided to back to poo um and we're super excited about this round but like full disclosure like we're looking at another opportunity in a totally different part of the world that um is also in the mushroom space so and this is this is like like old school mushrooms in the sense of like not biomass fermentation uh, which we've also made investments in, but this is just like gourmet mushrooms, lion's mane, blue oyster, um, trumpet mushrooms, things like that, where they're gourmet, they're really great options in the center of the plate. Uh, and, and for us, I mean, I'm not going to get into the details too much with Tupu specifically. I'll talk more about the space of, of this, this type of approach, but like, cause for Tupu, like team is just unbelievable. Like I, I, I like I'm never going to get there on an investment if the team isn't isn't unbelievable. So like we feel strongly about them, but for Tupu in the space overall, like some, there's really attractive value propositions that they bring to the market, especially in this day and age where um, right now there is, a, we talked about it on this, this, this podcast a bunch where consumers, they do want to switch away from meat sometimes, but when they do, they want it to be undeniably healthy and to find something that can be center of plate, as you mentioned, um, but be unprocessed and healthy. It's hard, but these, these large gourmet mushrooms, when they're, they're cooked in the appropriate way, they're a great option. So they're, they're healthy. Um, and, and they're, they're relatively affordable as well. Um, and, and I, I mean, I mean, for us, it's really about, this is just another option can have, uh, that can help shift away from me, but the economics make so much sense. So, we have done a bunch of investments in more of the synthetic biology plays, precision fermentation, cultivated, um, but the economics are still questionable there, right? We don't know that they'll work. These mushroom plays, especially with the companies like Tupu, where they're really applying a lot of new age farming technology to reduce costs around labor or around, around harvesting costs and, um, and things of that nature, it changes the unit economics massively. So like you can, you can have, gross margins of 55 to 80 plus percent for these mushrooms. And to put that into perspective, like leading CPG companies are pushing for 30 to 40% gross margins. So these are just like really attractive from a unit economic standpoint. And then, and then the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll mention on this and I could go on forever is really like from like a, a scaling standpoint and a capital needs standpoint, a lot of these really fit into like a traditional ag tech bucket or agriculture bucket. So they have access to a lot of non-dilutive financing from governments. In the U.S., there's like USDA loans or grants, and, and there's a lot of options in Europe as well. So um, this, this it, it really is just a, a really good opportunity to push the food system in a better direction uh, with an old school 
product. Um, it's, it's, it's great. We're really excited about this one. Um, super, super, super insights. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that so openly. One thing that I wanted to add that I, that I think about when I think about mushrooms and, 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 you know, I, I live in a city where we have, you know, 15 different mushrooms at the wet market or at the supermarket and on restaurant menus. So, you know, my son has grown up eating, you know, at least five kinds of mushrooms a week. So mushrooms are, we have this broad mushroom kind of, uh, um, uh, uh, selection, in our lives daily. And that's very unique to um, certain parts of Asia, but especially to Southern China and, and Chinese culture and Chinese food. So we're very lucky, but it's interesting to me because when I'm talking to the chefs or the founders and about getting the mushroom on the center of the plate, um, it's that's really where the discussion kind of changes around, you know, the meat, the, the animal meat replacement argument, because obviously mushroom is not necessarily super high in protein um, it's not trying to be exactly like me. Um, it's giving you a different thing. And so then it comes back again to like, what problem are we solving for the consumer? And, you know, is this a reducing kind of motivation where it's like, I just want to eat a delicious mushroom. Is this a health thing? Cause mushrooms are very healthy going back to like wellness, beauty, um, health and nutrition mushrooms are, you know, they're, they have a halo, they're a halo, uh, ingredient, um, or is it, is it, is it even, you know, just a texture thing? It's, I want to eat plant-based, but I, I really want it to be more of a whole food thing. So I, I like the mushroom version. So it's just, it's going back again to the consumer motivations and, and, and what it tells me is not that there's one answer is, is more that we really need all the solutions in the toolbox. And this is just another one. And we don't need every product or every solution or every startup to be the answer for everything. Absolutely. There's, there's absolutely no silver bullet for any of this. And um, we just have to think about what is the best for the long-term interest of the planet for people. And, and I think this, this whole focus on mushrooms and like what Tupu is doing, like that's, that is a great, great um, extra, extra piece of ammo to shift our food system in a better direction. Um, but, okay, well, before but we to, round to, out, yeah, to round out on a positive. Yeah, yeah. So to round out on a positive, so um, it's a quick one because there's really not much to say that we haven't already said about this general idea. But this week we we saw that South Korea became the second nation in in our space um, over the past two weeks to announce a, a national plan that's dedicated to boosting local plant based food production and promoting all proteins and. And we kind of talked about this last week. It was, it was Denmark last week, right? Where um, exactly. we were saying kudos, kudos to them. They're, they're really leading by example and, and the government's leading by example. Now South Korea is doing the same thing. It's part of their actual plan. And it's just that this is the type of stuff we love to see where it will, it will really dictate how things develop over the, the next few years. Um, and and I, I was just excited to see that. Absolutely. Um, and, and for those of you following kind of what's going on at the national level, I would say the countries where you're really seeing some, some positive stuff is obviously Denmark and South Korea, they're making it official, but I would say Germany, um, I would say Taiwan, um, I would say these are countries where they're really, and also actually Saudi Arabia and the, the UAE, um, where they're really prioritizing this idea of plant-based meats and its importance in the future of food just like this idea of eating more plant-based food and eating and, and investing in a plant-based and uh, in, in a food system that prioritizes plant-based. So I think this is a trend 
that you will see more. And as again, as we go towards more net zero goals, more transparency, more scope three emissions um, coming out, you know, more more urgency with with weather related climate change, you know, more uh, more issues around energy and, and fossil fuels. I think this the, this idea of putting plant based at the center of your of your environmental strategy as a nation um, and and for food security because food systems are affected by climate change. Um, it's just going to get stronger. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love it. It keeps me, keeps me motivated and happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's good to hear a good macro news when sometimes the micro specific news is, is a bit, yeah, it's hard. So thanks everyone for listening. We're going to close on that and we'll see you next week. Thanks everyone.